I think the quickest way to answer that is really to understand that um, when you have situations of conflict that erupt, uh, where people are displaced, where they cut off from uh, the normal means that they would have to, to survive, or where people are sometimes willfully um, put in positions where they can't access medical care, that's exactly where we see the purpose of our organization um, coming into focus. And, I mean, it's been that way for the last 50 years, and potentially keep on being that way for many, many years in the future. Mm, but mm. I think the important thing is that um, we continue to provide medical care in an impartial, neutral, and independent fashion, precisely because people believe in uh, a humanitarian principle to be able to do a humanitarian act to assist people who are uh, in very dire circumstances. So there's a lot of hope, despite uh, a very gloomy half a century, I would say. Yeah. As, as you and I speak now, Bori, how many countries are you, you guys currently active in? Yeah, so sort of on a normal basis, it's roughly about 70 countries. But uh, due to the COVID-19 pandemic, we've been working in about 80 countries around the world. And that translates roughly into about 11 million patients treated around the world every year. I was just going to ask you, how has this pandemic impacted uh, how you guys operate and, and just the kind of access that you now have to countries? I think it's a really important word that you're using the access because that's, you know, if you think of the last 50 years of, of our organization's existence, a lot of it pivots around that. So it's either being able to access patients, uh, let's say, for instance, in uh, Ethiopia currently with, uh, with the conflict that's occurring there or potentially in Afghanistan, um, or potentially I think the other component to, to mention when we're talking about access is access to, uh, to essential medicine. Mm. Um, and so when we talk about COVID-19, what we're very involved in these days is not only providing support to uh, healthcare systems um, that are sometimes overwhelmed, but also to try and um, disrupt the ways in which uh, big business and uh, regulation keep away uh, essential medicines from people who need them. So in this instance, we can talk about the access to uh, COVID-19 vaccines, and now many wealthy countries have been hoarding uh, COVID-19 vaccine doses mm-hmm. in many countries, particularly on our continent, have been left without and unable to vaccinate even their, uh, their their healthcare workers. So that's why I think access is a useful sort of concept yeah. to, to try and understand uh, the, the basics of what humanitarian action is about. And, and just speaking of access, over the last decade or so, uh, your ability to get in and assist will, will be an indication of, of how open, very often, conflict governments are to, to your presence, because it is a, a thumb in the nose of, of that military junta or that, that, that challenged leadership that MSF has to be present in their countries, isn't it? Okay, I mean, uh, sometimes, you know, it's, it's easy to say military junta or, you know, like people have these uh, visions of some despotic ruler, but sometimes yeah. it could also be uh, governments that are democratically elected. Um, uh, just take, for instance, uh, Ethiopia for the moment, um, the president of Ethiopia being also a Nobel uh, laureate. Yeah. Um, and yet it is still incredibly difficult for humanitarian organizations today to work in Ethiopia and to have access to all areas where the needs are, are significant, to be able to work independently. So. I think that's absolutely also sort of part of the legacy of the organization to be able to speak truth to power, to be able to speak out about um, what our field workers, what our our medical teams are witnessing on the ground, what the people who are our patients, what they're telling us. Um, And again, that's uh, the case in conflict settings. 
But the important part is, for instance, if we think of how we've been able to work for the last uh, 40-odd years in Afghanistan, for instance, is that it's predicated on the idea of being able to explain what we do mm. to demonstrate that the medical care that we provide is impartial. It doesn't come with any strings attached. Yeah. It's solely there based on an independent assessment of that need in a community um, and being able to, to speak to uh, either whether it's a, um, an armed opposition group who might be controlling a particular area or whether it's um, a state functionary, uh, but being able to, to describe very clearly what we're able to do from a medical perspective and that that's not attached to anything, uh, any other agenda as such. Yeah. Bori, where does the money come from and how's, how's funding been going? Because we hear from a lot of NPOs, NGOs that, that, it's, that things are drying up in, in the space money-wise. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a clear indication that people across societies around the world are increasingly um, facing quite sort of uh, constrained conditions, which is true. So we're very grateful for the amount of support that we're getting from South Africans, but also people from around the world. So we wouldn't be able to do this work if we weren't um, funded. So 90, 98% of the um, our budget is, is derived from private funding from individuals, so people like you and me, my aunts, your, and your grandmother maybe. Um, and this is what allows us to, to work in an independent fashion. So we're very grateful for that support, and it's so important that it's, uh, it's really a cornerstone of what, what enables our action. Mm. So if people are interested in providing us with that support, uh, giving us a gift at this time, sharing their generosity, they can do so. best way to do that is to navigate to our website, which is msf.org.za, and then uh, you just click on the Donate button, and that will take you through uh, pretty simple steps in, in order to, to provide us with the donation. It can either be a one-off gift or it can be a recurring gift. Yeah. And that's really what uh, enables our medical staff to keep on working where they need it most. Bori, this might be a, a really silly question, but, but do you guys take on actual physical help from people who are not doctors, but, but they want to volunteer and assist in some way? I think it's, it's just funny. Normally, when you talk about doctors without borders, uh, you assume there's like these legions of, uh, of uh, doctors. And, but often, uh, the people who run the project tend to be nurses. Um, and uh, so our medical staff are incredibly important, but the people who enable their work are equally important as well, I would say. So the logisticians, the administrators, people who work um, to keep our teams uh, structured, organized, motivated. Um, uh, you know, a doctor or a nurse can't do their work if they don't have a scalpel in hand, yeah, if, yeah. They're, if they're not in a sterile environment, if they're going to do uh, trauma surgery and the like. So there's a whole host of other people behind the scenes who do this work. Um, but the best way for people to connect with us um, and the way in which you can have an impact halfway around the world, you know, we all might not be able to work in the field as such, but your donation can reach people in areas far and wide. Mm. So that's that's how we work. I mean, we unfortunately also cannot accept um, donations in kind and uh, goods um, because it's incredibly difficult then to move that stuff uh, from here to, to, to where it's needed. Often what we try and do is source locally in order to be able to respond quickly enough. Okay. Or in some instances, we may require quite specialized uh, technical equipment that so we've developed over the, the last couple of decades inflatable hospitals that can be set up in a, in a matter of two days that can provide either a recovery ward or an operating theater. We've used this to, to great effect in, <clears throat> during earthquakes in, uh, in Haiti. 
Um, and also elsewhere in conflicts, for instance, in Syria or also in Iraq, where we've deployed these, um, these quick to construct uh, uh, recovery uh, units or, or um, operating theaters. Well, I thank you so much for your time. Uh, to the first 50, well done, uh, and congratulations. And yes, to another 150 of uh, the work of uh, Doctors Without Borders, Medicine Science Frontier. The Director of Communications for the organization there is Bori Lakranji, who was in conversation with us.